0: Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons Online from Tuesday, April 21st, 2020, by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, entitled, Transformations in the Wilderness, Tests and Trials, from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. We are in a series of lessons uh, about uh, transformations in the wilderness, We've looked at Elijah, we've looked at Moses, we looked at John the Baptist, and tonight is the final lesson in that, uh, in that series. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we are going to look at the, uh, the temptation of Jesus. So this is a pretty uh, well known passage of Scripture, right? Uh, Satan comes and he tempts Jesus. Uh, right after he's baptized, if you remember our story from last week, we, we finished as John was baptizing Jesus and the Spirit of God came on, came on to him uh, in acknowledgement of who he was, and uh, Jesus immediately went into the wilderness. Uh, One of the things that uh, is important for us to remember, we've looked at how the wilderness plays a key part, a key role in in our transformation and how God changes us, right? This is a a place of learning. It's a place of where we find purpose. It's a place where we find um, truth and God speaks. He he gets us away from distractions. Um, But uh, one of the things that I want you to see tonight is that all of these good things that come from the wilderness— one of the things that always comes at the end is, you know, in any any classroom, there's going to be a test at the end, not necessarily to uh, to test our knowledge, but to to temper us and kind of, and make permanent the lessons that we've learned. Okay, as the, through the process of us getting ready for a test, we go through the study guide, we read the chapters, we go through and we we study old lectures, and we make an intentional effort to be ready for the test, and. Through the process of going through that discipline, what happens is that information becomes uh, more ingrained in who we are. And so, the what we're going to look at tonight is how the wilderness, particularly the, the transformation piece, how it it uh, it manifests itself in the form of a classroom and how God tests us to uh, to make those lessons that we've learned more permanent. Okay, so. If you uh, if you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna first read the first eleven verses, uh, and um, we're just gonna take this one piece at a time. Uh, what I want you to see here is that um, that there's no uh, there's no political games, there's no other manipulations, there's a, there's no other people there watching this this take place. It's just Jesus and Satan, okay? And so it is it is the most basic of tests. Um, But it's incredible to see how Jesus handles himself and how he addresses the issues. So Matthew chapter 4, reading in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down for it is written if you he will give his angels orders concerning you that you will not that and, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus told him it, it is also written do not test the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and began to serve him. Okay, the first thing that I want you to see in this passage is that the wilderness is a classroom. Okay, it's not a place of punishment. So uh, we talked about last week that there's a difference between uh, God taking you into the wilderness. And you going into a, a season of suffering based on your rebellion, okay? There's a difference between the two. One is driven by being uh, obedient and abiding in the Holy Spirit. The other is driven by your own selfish ambition, right? The wages of sin is death. That means the consequences of a sinful lifestyle are going to be negative. It's uh, I, I heard an analogy uh, just today actually. I was listening to uh, to some things. If you guys have never heard of the discipleshiplibrary.com it's a great resource uh, for um, for Bible study and for um, great uh, great truth. I was listening to a, a, an old gentleman named Leroy Imes, and Leroy put it this way. He said, uh, people are made to be with God, and if you take a person and you remove them from God, bad things happen, right? And, and the thing that you can think about, if you've ever gone fishing before— When I was a teenager, we would, me and my brothers and my dad and granddad would go to Canada every summer to go fishing, and uh, up there they they have these big fish called northern pike. Northern pike have big teeth; you can't grab them like a bass on the lip, Uh, and so you it it requires a net to get them out of the water once you reel them in, and they can grow anywhere from 12 inches to 48 inches long. These are big, these are big things, Um, and uh, so inevitably when you take you take that fish and you pull it out of the water and and you put it in the boat. Uh, it begins to flop around, right? And this is an example of of us. You take us away from God. You take a fish out of water. There's a lot of activity. It looks like there's a lot going on, but really what's happening is that it's dying because it can't breathe. It's the same is true for us. That if we take, if if we remove ourselves from being close to God, what happens is the wages of that, the result of that is death. We are fish out of water when we're not close to God. And so there's a difference between going into the wilderness being driven by the Holy Spirit. Notice it says in verse one that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness and for a purpose, to be tempted, right? So, so we've got to remember that this is a spiritual, spiritually driven purpose. It's not just, a, um, it's not just something that Jesus was out for a walk one day and found himself lost in the wilderness. He went there on purpose. So uh, the Holy Spirit leads him there. This indicates uh, that he was already living in a way that was sensitive to what the Spirit had to say. So consider that. So Jesus, right, when we're looking at the situations of our life and we're, we're coming into a, a dry season or a season of challenges, it is, uh, it's important for us to remember that before we go into the wilderness that we're living in a way that is sensitive to what God wants for us. So you, you can't survive in the wilderness without the Spirit. He's the one who teaches us as we prepare for the, for the upcoming test. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine uh, preparing for a test for a class that you've had no instruction for? Imagine you walk into your classroom. There's nobody there. There's no teacher, and you're responsible to teach yourself. Oh, and by the way, uh, you never pick up the textbook. You never spend any time looking at what you're what what is related to the classroom, and test day comes and you have got to take a test this is an example of what it would look like for us to live our lives absent from the holy spirit the holy spirit is there on purpose to teach us right in in john jesus says that whenever he leaves he's going to send the helper he's going to send the 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 holy spirit and he's going to teach us all things that we need to know so it's important for us to live a lifestyle that's consistent with that before we get into the wilderness so where was he led, right? He's, he was led into a, uh, a dangerous place. We've talked about this before in the, in the process of this series that the wilderness is not a safe place. This is a dangerous place that is meant for, for dangerous living, right? It's a place for testing and intense learning. It's not a safe assignment. So if you're following the Holy Spirit, if you, if you are being consistent with what God's called you to do, he is going to take you in places that are gonna not be safe this is this we're going into this on purpose right we're living on purpose so why did he lead him there right he it says here in verse one that he led him to be tempted by the devil there's no other reason than to be tempted by the devil okay that means that for 40 days jesus fasted he he sought god's face he was preparing himself but he knew that he was going there for a reason and and the reason was to be tempted it wasn't for any other purpose right so when we go into the wilderness, whenever we're led by the Spirit into the wilderness, we got to understand that the challenge is coming. A challenge is coming. Now imagine if Jesus would have spent the 40 days that he should have spent fasting. Imagine if he would have spent it commiserating with himself about how terrible his situation was. And he wasn't focused on the purpose that he was there. Would he be ready for this interaction with Satan? Would he be, would he be equipped? Would he have his mind in the right place? Or was he going on purpose? I mean, you can't fast for 40 days and not do that on purpose. I can't even fast for one day and not do that on purpose, right? I mean, Jesus goes in and he is completely laser focused on what he's there to do, right? He knew the spirit led him into a dangerous place. He was not ignorant of why why he got there or how he got there. And he lived on purpose and that enabled him to see what God was doing, right? Remember, we looked we looked at this last week that the children of the wilderness, they, they don't just sit back and wait for the test. They prepare for it. They, they exhaust their, their personal strength. They want to make sure that they are committed to what God is doing, okay? So fasting, if you look at what Jesus, it says that Jesus fasted in verse 2, after he would fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, okay? The children of the wilderness, they don't just sit back and wait. They prepare. So fasting, it takes a conscious decision to neglect our physical needs in order to focus on our spiritual needs, right? So fasting, if you remember, was a discipline that that uh, started in the ancient world and still continues to this day. And the whole idea is, uh, you can fast from any number of things. You can fast from food. You can fast from um, social media. You can fast from uh, traditional media. There's a lot of things. The whole the whole premise is that I'm going to take something that is that that it captures the majority of my time or a good piece of my time. And instead of, of using that for, for that purpose, I'm going to neglect that thing. And instead I'm going to focus my energy on, on God and what God's doing in my life. So if you're fasting from food, for instance, like we do, uh, we fat, we on the first Friday of every month, we fast and we pray. So that means that for the first Friday of the month, we don't eat lunch. And instead what we do is we meet on zoom and we pray, uh, for as long as we need to, and we neglect our stomachs for an hour, and what we do is we set that time aside and we pray. And this is an example of of putting God at the forefront of our mind and and setting the things that consciously take our attention away from Him and setting them, setting them to the side for a little while, right? So the natural consequence of that though is that our flesh. It, it's naturally seeking attention, right? It wants, it wants us to pay attention to this need because it's used to it, right? So Jesus, he, he was hungry because of, he made a decision to fast, right? It wasn't because there was no food. Remember, John the Baptist survived in the wild. He ate locusts and wild honey. There's all think, all kinds of things that he could eat out in the wild, but he made a deliberate and intentional decision to not eat. Imagine that. Imagine you know that a test is coming, you know that, that Satan is going to come at you with, with with guns blazing and he's going to give you everything he's got. Put yourself, put your, put your God goggles on and use your sanctified imagination here. Jesus is making a decision because he knows he's going into battle. So what does he do? He puts all of his resources in the one part of who he is that requires the most amount of strength. He puts it in his spirit. Okay, he neglects his flesh, and he, and, he, and he focuses on his spirit 100%. For the children of God, the wilderness, it, it's a supernatural tool. Okay, God uses to teach us. So the, the world will try to tell us that the wilderness is a place of death. right? It's a place that we shouldn't go. But we've been called not to see things like the world. One of the things that Taylor, Taylor mentioned in his video, his encouragement to us this week, was that we're not supposed to see things like the world sees them. We see them with the eternal vision. Right? through obeying the Spirit in our lives, we look at the wilderness as an opportunity to pull ourselves away from our flesh. Right, So when we look at the wilderness, we are called there. And we see that there's physical, there, there's spiritual strength that, that is pulled from there. Right, We're called to have the mind of Jesus. And so he saw this as a place of sharpening that, that, he, that would pull his spirit into focus on what God wanted to teach him. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, when God calls us into the wilderness... We're called to prepare ourselves for it by laying aside our physical wants in order to, to hear the Spirit correctly. So when we look at, the, look at the context of what God's going to teach us in this passage, it's, it's important for us to, to frame it in a correct way. Okay, so Jesus is walking into this challenge with Satan, and he has stripped himself of his physical desires. He has intentionally neglected his flesh so that he's going in with one singular purpose, right? This is the same mindset that we should have when we look at the wildernesses in our life, when we're dealing with the challenges of our life, whether it's losing our job, whether it is not getting in, getting into a degree program, whether it is a grade on a test, whether it is a situation with our parents or with our our family, difficult siblings, all of these things are things that we need to be laser focused in on. and Remember that we have to go we have to walk into them with the correct mindset. Okay, so the first thing is that the, the wilderness is a classroom, okay? Here's what I want you to see. We're going to look at three lessons here from how Satan attacks Jesus now that he's prepared for this situation, right? So, so looking at verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes, out, comes from the mouth of God. Okay, the second thing that I want you to see here is, le- is lesson number one, is that old distractions will, will be the first wave of attack. Okay, remember this. Remember, sin is not about what we do. Sin is not about the things that we do. Sin is about control. Sin is about control. It doesn't matter the things that you do. Now, when we are trying to take control of our lives, we make bad decisions. And that, that's, that's the end result of our sin. But remember, the, the original sin is pride. It's, it's taking control of our life and saying, I don't need God because I'm saying that God is not sovereign. Sin is about control. It's not about the things that we do. So Satan tries to turn Jesus' attention back to what he's intentionally neglected for his spiritual health. Look at verse 3. It says, Then the tempter approached him and said, If you were the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay, so Satan's he, he's saying a couple of things here. So he, he's implying a couple of things. The first thing is that he questions Jesus's identity by saying, if, if you're the son of God, he knows he's hungry. He knows he's hungry because he's been watching him in the, in the wilderness, right? So he says, if you're the son of God, you know, he doesn't even point out that Jesus is hungry. Instead, he appeals to his weaknesses. So consider this. Think, th- think about your, what he's really saying here. Satan is saying, if you're so special, nobody's here. Nobody can see this. Dude, I know you're hungry. Just turn these rocks to bread. You can do it. I know you can. You're God in the flesh. Nobody's going to see it. This is just a small thing. I'm not, you're not breaking any law. And what's interesting here, though, is that um, we need to remember that, that when we are going through trials, when we're being tested by the enemy, when he's trying to bring up these old distractions to try to get us back to thinking about our flesh and, and our own priorities, we've got to remember that, that our Savior Jesus Christ is not ignorant of the way of the things that we go through. He's not. He's gone. He's gone through all of this before. the 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 authors of Philippians and the author of of Hebrews they put it this way. Consider this about how Jesus. So so in your sanctified imagination, you see Jesus being tempted by the devil. You see him being tempted in a real, real way. Okay, and and consider the words of Philippians. It says this. It says, "If there is any encouragement in Christ, if if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry, rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider yourselves, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests but also the, for the interests of others." When Jesus is looking at the situation, he doesn't just see, I'm hungry. He sees you. He sees me. Jesus is not just thinking, this is just a way, I'm just hungry, I just need something to eat. He is thinking about all of these things at the same time. He's doing this on purpose. Consider also, okay, the the challenge, the weight of him dealing with these temptations. In Hebrews 4, it says this, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is, un- who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. See, Jesus is in this situation and he's telling a story. So for us, when we look at these challenges, we look at these temptations. Satan's going to bring these things and try to drag us back into the thing that we've been neglecting, the thing, the the that distraction that we've tried to strip away from our lives. And because Satan knows if he can get us distracted, he can get us away from keeping our eyes on what God wants us to do. But God's word says that Jesus, though when he when he was tempted in this fashion, he knew that in the future you would be drawing strength from his example. And so. It's bigger than just filling his belly. It's bigger than him being hungry. He is looking at this and he's considering all of us in response to this. If he if he responds to his wants and not our needs, he is not God. But Jesus, in his perfect will, and his perfect example, he looks at this challenge and he says no. And he puts on display an example for us to be able to see when we are going through difficulty, when we're going through hard trials and Satan is trying to throw these distractions back in front of us, Jesus can sympathize. He knows exactly what's going on in our life. He knows exactly how he can can pray for us. Did you know that the scripture says that he prays for you continually? That he's been praying for you since the beginning of the world? By name. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, has been praying for you by name since the beginning of the world. This shows us that, that... in spite of these distractions when we cry out to him when satan is pounding us with all these things that try to get in our get in our way it means that he sympathizes with us because he's been there himself see satan is trying to he's trying to get jesus to undo the all the discipline that he's been working for for the last 40 days right he knows that if he can get jesus to fill his belly it will distract him from what he's called to do right but jesus i love jesus his response here because he reminds satan that we don't, have, we don't just have physical needs. Our primary purpose is our connection to the Father and what he says to us. Look at what he says. Jesus, he, re- he reframes what uh, the question and the temptation by aligning Satan's request to Scripture. So verse 4, it says, uh, G- And he answered, It is written, Man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus is quoting a piece of Scripture here from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is, this is the part of the Bible where, where God is giving a promise to the people of Israel. They're about to walk into the promised land, and he's about to let them walk into cities that they didn't build. He's going to let them eat fruit from trees they didn't plant. They're going to drink wine from vineyards they didn't plant or tend to. They're going to walk. Literally, they're going to move into a fully furnished house is what, he, what he's saying. And God says this. He says, this one thing I require of you, this is where we get the greatest commandment, that you love God and love people. Okay, he said, this one thing that I require of you, that you that you dedicate yourselves to me 100%. And if the day comes when you decide that you don't need me anymore, when you're so successful that you don't need to rely on me anymore, I'm going to remove you from this, from this blessing. And in the context of this, Jesus quotes this piece of scripture from Deuteronomy that says, man must not live on bread alone, but on, but on everywhere that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, scripture is our primary defense against lies and temptations. If you're taking notes, write that down. Scripture is our primary defense against lies and temptations. Okay, so Jesus walks into this temptation moment, and he knows Scripture already. One of the things we're going to talk about as we get into this text is is how Jesus leans back on Scripture to defend himself. See, if you walk into the wilderness, and you think you're going to be able to stand toe-to-toe with the enemy and if you haven't been spending time in God's word, I'm sorry, you're holding a gun without any bullets. You're not gonna be able to handle what what he's gonna put in front of you. Because Satan has a way of twisting the truth to where he's gonna ask those questions. Uh, if you're really a child of God, shouldn't you be thinking this? If you're really a child of God, shouldn't you act this way? He's full of accusations. And so it's important for us to always go back in the words of Jesus, that we don't live just by physical satisfaction. We live on every word that came out of God's mouth. Okay, we must know scripture before we go into the wilderness. Okay, you have, you, in this question, in this temptation, Satan is asking, do you want physical nourishment or do you want spiritual nourishment? See, Satan is going to do his best to try to uh, in, in interest you in investing in your flesh, investing in the things that you think that you need. Okay, so he's gonna tell you, oh, before you can be obedient to God, you need to make sure that you have that job, or you need to make sure that you have that that relationship, or you need to make sure that you you fill in the blank. Okay, so remember the trajectory, right? In the trajectory, there's all kinds of excuses to not be obedient. Okay, well, let's start out in high school, or junior high, say for instance. In junior high, you start walking with Jesus. You say, okay, well, that's that's awesome. I see those senior high kids that in, in uh, youth group. One day I'm going to be like them, but until that day comes, and tell them in youth group, I'm you know I'm I'm just going to enjoy myself in junior high. Then you get into high school, and you're like, okay, well, you know, when I go to college, I'll take this whole God thing seriously, okay? Because you go to college, then you finish college, you, you get into college, you think, okay, well, I'll settle down. You know, this is just kind of a season of my life, so. I'm going to uh, once I get married and settle down and I actually have a job and all that stuff then I'll be able to, to invest myself in what God wants for me to do okay then you get married and then you get the house and then you get the double car payment you're like okay well you know things are really difficult right now I'm, I'm, I've got to do a lot of work you know I got to pay these bills and everything when we have a family when I've got kids I'll, I'll settle down I'll do what God wants me to do and then you have kids and he's like okay well okay now I've got kids so it's really important that they know Jesus so we're gonna to go to church and we're gonna do our thing and and so we raise these kids and okay, well, you know, things are just really busy. I try to get them through through middle school, got to pay for band and all these other things, and okay, now now they're getting into college. Well now I gotta pay for college. And then you blink and you realize you've lived your whole life and you've been telling yourself in regard to God's word and God's obedience, but when but when I'm really busy right now, but when I'll obey God, you fill in the blank. Satan has made so many lives wasted by telling people to feed their physical wants and neglecting their spiritual needs. See, this is this is a key thing for us. So we have to come back to God's Word. we got to come back to this book. And I know that I sound like a, an old man when I say it. I'm telling you, I have tried to live my life and make decisions and steer my career and do all the things and, and be all the, all the stuff to people. I can tell you that the number one weapon that Satan uses against God's people is ignorance of this book. In it is every answer that you could possibly need. And if you if you want to be successful in life, you need to know this book. Okay, so for Jesus, right, in the same way that a teacher, he uses a textbook as the foundation for instruction, God uses his word to equip us for questions that Satan throws at us, right? So just like in a classroom, a teacher, they instruct, right? They provide opportunities for us to use the information that's been taught. But then this is what happens. We're tempted. God allows Satan to come in and question his instruction, right? And so through that, we begin to experience victory. Now, there's a really important distinction here though, the, the, about the dangers in the wilderness that, that I need to point out okay if you haven't figured this out yet you will soon Satan is very real evil is very real and those who are students of God's word who are led into the wilderness by the spirit because of because they were ready to be led deeper in a relationship with God those who find themselves in the wilderness out of neglect and sinful decisions, are a real danger. They will see real destruction in their life. Okay, We've talked about the wilderness being a place of instruction and encouragement from God, but we've got to acknowledge that there's always a test after the instruction. Realize that Satan is waiting with temptation after the Spirit speaks. And you've got to be equipped to face it. You can't just walk into the wilderness saying, okay, well, here I am. Okay, God, show me something cool. Then you're going to leave and not be tested on it. That's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. There will be a test. God's word says, again, going back to the truth, God's word says that he is a lion seeking and hunting whom he may devour. He hunts, and he is good at it. He knows you because he hunted your parents, and he hunted your grandparents, and he hunted your great-grandparents. He knows your DNA. He knows your weaknesses. He knows all of these things. He has been hunting human beings of your kind for a long time. Understand that this threat is real. You cannot survive in this world if you are going to profess to be a Jesus chaser and not know his word. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You are like a soldier stripping off your body armor and throwing your weapon down and running out in the middle of the battlefield and saying, hey, look at me. Shoot me right here. Shoot me. Shoot at me. You've not taken any precautions. There's a reason why the the God's word says that we have been given an offensive weapon. And that is this book, the sword of the spirit. Okay, All of the other things that come with a godly lifestyle come from this book. You cannot profess to know God if you don't know his word. Okay. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson we're going to see here is that God's word is going to be questioned. Okay. If he can't distract you from the things that have been, that have been your go-to, the things that keep your mind off of what God wants you, wants for you, he's in a question. You, you know, that if you go back to the word and you find your, your, your truth there, you find your foundation there. He's going to start questioning that too. Are you sure you're going to listen to that old book? There is nothing in the Bible that's relevant to your life. This is 2020. Are you serious? You can't expect a book written by so many people over so many hundreds of years to be relevant at all in the 21st century. That's ridiculous. Well, look at what Satan does, how he tempts Jesus the second time here. Verse five says, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Okay, so read between the lines here. Remember, this is really important. Satan starts quoting scripture. So we think that, that that Satan is just this dummy that runs around with a with a pitchfork and a long tail and little horns, right? Poking people. He is very shrewd. He is very smart. And he knows God's word. He knows God's word better than you and better than me. So what does he do? He comes into Jesus and he says, hey, throw yourself off this, this pinnacle. God's word says that he's going to take care of you, right? He, he's going to give you the security. Do you guys remember, um, <clears throat> you remember the Garden of Eden, right? Satan asked Eve, what was the question? He said, did God really say that? Did he really, did He? Why, why would he not want you to eat from this tree? So he does the same thing. With Jesus, quoting scripture out of context. So he's quoting Psalm twenty Psalm ninety-one. Psalm ninety one is uh is a psalm of protection against persecution, okay, and pressure from a sinful world. It is not about setting up situations where we make God like a genie in a bottle to do whatever we want. Okay, He's our protector, not our slave. Again, remember, sin is not about the things that we do, it's about control. So if you are if you are setting yourself up like okay, God, I'm going to go on a quick trip and I'm going to get a, a scratch-off uh, lottery ticket and um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play that. And, and if, if I win a million dollars, I know that you're real. God is not going to answer that. answer that. Don't be ridiculous. You can't quote scripture out of context and expect for God to show up. That's not how this works, right? This, this whole thing is, there are people who have made, a, uh, made an industry out of this quoting scripture out of context and making themselves to be something that they're not and making God to be something that he's not. I tell you this, that those people, they will give a very, very harsh account to the Lord because he does not take it lightly when people bend his word. That's why it says in James that those who want to be teachers and speak the truth of God's word should do it very, very hesitantly knowing that they will bear a greater punishment than others. So Satan's bending this out of context. He's taking Psalm 91, and he's bending it out of context. See, but here's the thing. A good student of God's Word doesn't just know hand-picked verses. They know context. They know what's going on. So inevitably, when Satan starts quoting the Scripture to, to Jesus. Jesus, is he knows God's Word. And so I can see Jesus in my mind. I can see him listening to Satan say these words, quoting Scripture, and thinking, no, no. No, that's not what that means at all. Okay, so let me let me pause here for just a second, right? They're going back to this danger, the danger of just kind of nibbling around the edges here. There's a real danger for those who dabble in scripture casually. Okay, if you know a couple of verses here and there sprinkled around, okay, uh, good for you, but know that you are setting yourself up to fail. Okay, knowing bits and pieces of of, of God's Word can give you a false sense of security. Okay, Satan knows Scripture better than you, and he has made a lot of people stumble by helping them find justifications for their sin using handpicked verses from God's Word. Context is key. Remember what Michael always says, the Bible doesn't mean what it says, it means what it means. Okay, when you read something, if somebody quotes something in Scripture to you as a justification for what you should do, Understand the context, always. Always understand the context. So Satan, he quotes Psalm 91. But Jesus, again, he turns to context. He turns back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember, this is about control. It's all about control. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we've talked about this already. You know, the, the people are going to the promised land. See, God's word is a solid foundation for us. Without knowing it, it's like we're we are we're wandering around taking bits and pieces of, of truth and using it as justification for whatever we want. See, remember, Satan is going to do, he's going to try to feed these distractions in your life, and he's going to try to tell you all the reasons why you should feed that. Consider this. There are some teachers, Bible teachers... Who preach that God, our relationship with God is nothing more than a a means for us to be able to live a comfortable life on earth? That God wants you to be successful. He wants you to have a, a nice car. He wants you to have a nice house. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be to, to be six to to have all the things that you want, physically. Based on what we've seen in Satan's Satan's offer, and Jesus's perspective. How does that line up with Scripture? It doesn't. It doesn't at all. See, one of the dangers that we face as children of God is falling into Satan's traps because he deceives us with only part of the truth. Okay, if we can't, if he can't get us to go back on our old distractions and feed our flesh... He'll try with misdirection, and he will, he'll try to lie to us with, with things that sound like God's word, but really they're lies that are meant to feed our ego. Satan tries to tempt Jesus by using Scripture to make it sound like God owed him something. Okay, But Jesus was equipped to see the lie because he not only knew God's word, but he knew his character. This is the fulfillment of the promise God made to us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay, because Jesus was a living sacrifice, he had a transformed mind and he knew the true will of God. If Jesus was not a living sacrifice, if he had not learned God's character, if he didn't have a transformed mind, but he was conformed to his culture, conformed to the world, and this situation pops up, I can't say that he would know God's will. Because God's word says that that's the only way that we know God's will. Is if we abandon ourselves, we turn over con- to control to what He wants for us. That means that for us, we have to be very careful about what we make ourselves aligned to. You guys, so a lot of you guys already know this this story, but uh, I I want to share it because I think it's important for us to remember dealing with with God's word in context. Okay. So, um, a lot of you guys know the story of the poop and the brownies. So imagine for instance, uh, your, your, your mom or dad is there, they're in the kitchen, they're whipping up some brownies and you come home and you open the door and Oh man, they smell good. They smell so good. You walk in the kitchen. Hey, what are you making? Oh, they're making, I'm making brownies just for you. Oh, thank you. Man. They smell so good. I pull them out of the oven. They're nice. Oh, they look great. Your mouth starting to water. You're thinking about the ice cream you're going to put on there. And and uh, so you you're, you start cutting out a square, because the corners are the best. You cut the corners out, and um, and your 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 parent stops you and they say, okay, well before you take a bite though, I I have to tell you, when I when I pulled open the cabinet, and I pulled the box of mix out. I noticed that a little mouse had gotten in there and there was a little bit of mouse poop in the mix, uh, but I scooped it all out. It, it should it should be fine, but I'm pretty sure I got everything out of it. Do you put those brownies in your mouth? Absolutely not. It's disgusting. So the question is, why would we do that with with uh, our temptations? Why would we do that with what Satan offers for us? Why would we take a little lie, injected in some truth, something that's pure and good, and be okay with it? We have to know that what we're studying and what we know in God's Word is true and accurate. That it is pure. Be a student of God's word because Satan is going to test you on it. He's going to offer all kinds of reasons why you should do what you should do, and he's going to offer uh, scripture as the justification. Okay, so first, he tries to distract us to get us back into our old way of life. right? He tries to get us distracted with these things that take our eyes off of Jesus. Then he tries to question uh, God's word. Okay, So after he questions God's word, after he tries to get us with these distractions, the next thing he tries to do is that... He tries to question God's authority. Okay, so number four here is the third lesson. God's authority will be questioned. So look, look at how this story continues in verse eight. Again, the, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and began to serve him. Okay, so wait a second. This this has a this leads to a question. Does say, uh, Satan's offering him all of the kingdoms of the world? Does Satan even have the power to do that? Does he have the authority to do that? In Luke's account of this of this story, in chapter six of Luke satan acknowledges he the the text is a little bit different and satan acknowledges that his power came from somewhere he says that he has it's been given to him so that means that other scripture references where it talks about um him being the prince of the power of the air or the ruler of the world or the evil one or the one that he has he has authority on earth that it comes from somewhere okay but but he's—you guys remember the story of Job, right? Remember how what happened to Job? That Job was a was a believer in God, was was God's faithful servant, and Satan had to ask for permission before he was able to go and 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 do things to Job. So, so Satan, he is offering Jesus something that he does that doesn't belong to him, because God's the one who's in control. So again, remember this is a poop in the brownies situation. He's taking a little bit of truth, and he's he's he is wrapping it in a lie, and he's trying to convince Jesus of something something otherwise, something that's not true. He's trying to exploit Jesus in his weakness. Right? He's in he's still in his physical state. Imagine Jesus though, he's not just you know, he's not just rocking along. This dude is tired. He's hungry. He's miserable and he's ready for this to be over. And 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 think about this. That this is a preview of what Jesus would experience as he grew in his prominence, right. So this whole situation that we've looked at, right. So Jesus, fast forward years, two, three years from now, from this point in Jesus's ministry, he's going to have people that are going to tell him, "Master, you're the Messiah. We should just kick the Romans out of Israel right now." Master, you're the Messiah. We need a military victory. We need a champion. We need a general. We need a king, and all of these, all of these voices that are going to try to distract Jesus and feed him into his, into his. Uh, into the moment, into his flesh. All of those moments that Jesus experienced, he's able to look back at this one moment here and say, no, this is what I'm here for. This is my purpose. Okay, Jesus, he would not be the same man in the Garden of Gethsemane without this moment. He wouldn't be the same person in the temple overturning tables without this moment. He wouldn't be the person on the cross without this moment. This is a seminal moment for Jesus. Okay, It's preparing him for the moment when he would be desperately asking God for another way to achieve his divine plan. He would be on his knees, sweating out blood from his pores, asking God to find a different way than for him to die on the cross. This moment right here is... A huge part of Jesus' story because it is testing the resolve that God has put in in him. Jesus, why are you here? To love God and obey his commandments. So, Christian, I've got to ask you this question Why are you here? Why are you here? Because God has given you a purpose, He's given you a calling. And Satan is going to do everything that he can to distract you from that calling, from that thing that God has called you to do. And he's going God's going to bring you into the wilderness and he is going to provide opportunities for you to be tested. And in that moment, you have to ask yourself, why am I here? Am I here for myself or am I here for what God has put in my life? So Jesus, I loved, I love his responses because he always goes back to that simple truth. Love God, serve God, love people. Obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, Jesus goes back to that same passage. That's where we get the two greatest commandments is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He goes back to that same place. And look at what he says. In verse 10 it says, Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus rebukes Satan by going back to that one simple truth in Deuteronomy 6 and affirming who he actually, who, who actually is in control okay, God is worship, he he is, he is, we are called to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The power of this statement, I can't emphasize it enough, okay, there is only one God and he alone is worthy of worship and service. So consider this, no matter what you're struggling with, God holds the absolute power. He's in absolute control of everything your feelings about your situation don't change his worth or worthiness. He has allowed your struggle for a reason. You are in this moment for a reason. Sometimes that reason is just to simply grow in your trusting of him. That's real simple. I know that's not a, an answer that you want to sink your teeth into, but sometimes it's that simple. He's trying to get you to trust him more because you've been, you've been investing yourself in those distractions. Sometimes the reason's more specific to move you in a direction that will be positive in the end. God sees you doing something and he wants to to prepare you in a positive way for something else. Or it could be, sometimes the reason is to make you avoid certain negative results in your life. Sometimes he allows certain things to happen so that you will be diverted from a lifestyle that that in the end is gonna be destructive for you. He is saving you from, from trouble. So after Jesus defeats the temptations of Satan, the father sends some helpers to minister to him. Look at this. In verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began to serve him. That means that they came and they began to encourage him in his, in his exhaustion. Okay, no child of God will ever be neglected in the middle of a storm. He always sends help. Okay, this is why we have this reach family around us to support us and to love us in the middle of our trials, to go on, to, to God, to, to, spur us into into godliness God's not going to leave us to face these trials by ourselves but I, but I want you to see that as we face the challenges of our life Satan will always try to undermine the authority of the one that we serve okay we we can't be strong knowing that no matter what he we can be strong knowing that whatever he brings against us it only comes by the permission of almighty God. And he has not left us alone or without resources. He has given us his word as an anchor to hold us steady and surround us with a group of brothers and sisters who encourage us and hold us up in prayer when we're weak. When we're in the middle of a trial, no matter what it is, all we need to remember is that our God is worthy of worship and service. These are the things that God uses to remind us that he is the ultimate authority. See, Jesus lays out for us some simple truth. And also he he shows us by his example how how we can combat the enemy and how he comes after us. Okay, Your, your distractions, they can suck so much life out of you. But for many of you, you fall into the lie that somehow the things that you're going through are, are they're, they're not important your wilderness is a classroom and you gotta got to remember that god is trying to teach you something and the longer that you're not paying attention the longer this is going to go it's that simple you can either pay attention to god and learn or you can just suffer because god will he loves you too much for you to just live your life and avoid what he has for you like a fish out of water, you're starving and you're suffocating. God has something huge for you. So I want you to ask, ask yourself these questions tonight. And as you do your quiet time, as you work through your your uh, Bible studies this week, what are some old distractions that you're letting get in the way of what God has for you? What are things that you are continuing to feed that you need to fast from for a while? Maybe you need to give up social media. Maybe you need to give up um, activities, games. Maybe you need to give up uh, video games. Are you also? I want you to ask. I want you to ask yourself: Am I a student of God's Word? Okay. Do Do you have a mentor in your life that can help disciple you to help know the full truth of what God's Word says? See, when we first start out, we're we're reading this book and we're trying our best to understand it all. But but God's Word lays out a model that we're supposed to have someone in our life that can help us understand this in context. That is, that it's a little bit further down the road than we are. That mentor is called a discipler. That discipler is, is meant there. It's, it's, it's in God's word. That model is there on purpose so that we can help learn from someone else who's been there before us. And in the process, as we learn, then we reach back and we help the person behind us and it, performs, it, it, it creates a chain. Do you have a mentor? Do you have someone discipling you one-on-one that you can bounce these ideas off and, and talk about the struggles of your life and what God's teaching you, the things that you're reading? I would encourage you if you don't have somebody like that in your life talk to me and I, I want to try to help get that, get that get that connected for you because it's so important to fully understand what God's word says the last thing I want you to ask yourself is do you know the father well enough to trust his authority you know maybe you're being tested to learn this truth in a more deep way do you know God's, God God well enough to trust his authority or Are you going through a hard time? Just simply to where you'll pay attention to his existence. The challenge that we face always, and and the the letters to the churches in in the New Testament talk about this, that our flesh wars against our spirit, and our spirit wars against our flesh, and these are opposed to each other so that we don't do what we want. This is our struggle. And Jesus puts it on display for us. But we cannot survive this wilderness without the Holy Spirit and without God's Word. And I want to encourage you tonight, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it might seem, no matter how real the consequences of, of your situation are, I want to encourage you that our God is a big God. And He wants you to see things from an eternal perspective. and He wants you to, to know Him in a full way. All of these things that consume our thoughts and our worries, they are small things in proportion to God's power. But the one required element is that we trust Him and that we are living sacrifices. Because without that, we will not know what His will is. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor Young Adults at Evergreen Church. I want to invite you to come to REACH. We meet every Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Evergreen Church, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. For more information, check out our website, REACHTULSA.org. You can connect with us on social media and on Instagram by searching for REACH.TULSA. Also, be sure to subscribe to our content for the latest sermons and updates. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, bring your glory down come fill your people with revival